everybody. I'm Kelly Ellers. I'm Jeffrey Lennon. And this is Volume Up by the D's. All right, Jeff, some exciting news coming out of a place that I used to reside in, that is AZ, Arizona. They passed the Crown Act, so hells to the yeah. Claps, claps for them. You're not picking this up on the audio. Maybe you are. This is an ASMR. Um, congrats. <laughs> this is big. This is big. This is great. Joining 20 other states. I love that. Why isn't it all of them? Like, hello over there. But for those of you who are new around here and you're wondering, what's the Crown Act? It actually stands for Creating a Respectful and Open Workplace for Natural Hair. A study released by Dove back in 19 showed that Black women were 83% more likely to feel judged than other women in the workplace and 1.5 times more likely to be reminded of workplace policies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So anyway, we are here for the Crown Act in the passing of and giddy up other states. Yeah. Let's make this a nationwide thing. I was going to say, that's the big thing. We've talked about this on the podcast. A lot of our guests have mentioned this. Passed in the House, stalled in the Senate. Let's call our representatives. Let's call them. And make them pass this nationwide. Come on. If Arizona can do it and 20 other states, let's do it in 50. Come on. Come on. On last week's episode, we talked with Adrian Small and Siobhan Damali Majid. Damalia is the visionary of Damalia Hair Studio and founder of the Texture Prodigy Academy, where the call to action is to bring awareness to diversity and inclusion of textured hair to help cosmetology schools and stylists understand that education on all texture is needed in our industry for all of us to grow. Adrian is a retired stylist and educator. She provides education for all hair types with specialties in color, cutting and styling, and natural hair blowout services with her Hair Color Concepts Academy, Hair Color Concepts Magazine, and the Adrian Small Foundation. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok at Read the Tees and send in questions to volume up at thetees.com. This week, we're talking with Kia Sterling. Kia is a world-renowned celebrity and editorial hair artist based in New York City, Philadelphia, and Los Angeles. With over 20 years of experience in the beauty and fashion industries, she has quickly become one of the most sought-after hairstylists and educators worldwide and a driving force in fashion and beauty. Her trend-setting style that she describes as rock and refined has been featured in major fashion publications as well as television, advertisements, fashion weeks, and award shows. Her experience extends from precision cutting, custom coloring, flawless extension work, wig making and design, luxury hair care, couture styling, and texture specialist and enthusiast. Kia believes in healthy hair first and education is key in her growth as a stylist. She lives for her motto, evolve, inspire, create, and share, as she is a strong believer in giving back and embracing her philanthropy work. Also this just in, a friend of the pod, if you will, Larry Foster from Tricochi University. Tricochi University, congrats to you and the team over there. They were named the best beauty school in the country. And huge. We love that. They're certainly a leader in beauty education. They specialize in cosmetology and aesthetics, and they received the second annual Beauty School of the Year Award from the AACS, American Association of Cosmetology Schools. Jeff, anything to recall from that awesome interview? I just loved chatting with Larry. And I mean, the way that he described how they are embracing their curriculum, the services that they offer to students, like it seemed like they were really on top of and all about creating an experience for them that was award worthy. And now they are being recognized. So we love to see it. I mean, this is a huge deal for them and a selfish plug to go back and listen to that episode because it was a good combo. You got it. Now let's talk about what is trending on our site. Our editorial team has been hard at work this week on covering industry news, looking into trends, and diving into brands that you don't know, but you should. And here are some of our favorite headlines. First up, hairstylist Kim Kimball partners with Hair You Wear to design a wig collection for people with textured hair. If you've ever dreamt of attaining celeb-worthy hair, it's never been easier thanks to Kim Kimball and her new wig line. The legendary celebrity hairstylist recently teamed up with leading wig and hairpiece manufacturer, Hair You Wear on her very first wig collection, created specifically for those with textured hair. Available this March, her wig collection will feature eight unique styles in 14 shades, inspired by Kimball's illustrious career, creating iconic looks for megastars such as Beyonce, Zendaya, Mary J. Blige, and Shakira. For Kimball, not only is her new wig line an opportunity to fill a void in the current market, but it's also a chance to make professional-grade tresses both affordable and accessible to women of color everywhere, which we love. Quality product at an affordable price point. Very much into it. Kelly, is there a style in this line that you're especially into that you would maybe consider for yourself? 
Yes, Jeff. Um, I, I think it would be hard to choose from, honestly. They're all stunning. And for me, you know, I love some volume, right? So if I had to choose, it would certainly be this beautiful one I'm looking at right now. Check out the tease.com. Picture number two, a beautiful red moment. <laughs> for sure. No, that sounds incredible. And a lot of them, I mean, shout out to her. I actually saw since we posted this, she did a reel where she was swapping these styles out. Some versatile styles there. Totally. So good for her. I love it. Next up on the tease, Anna's company just launched a new haircutting tutorial video series with global educator Hayden Cassidy. If you've been hoping to brush up on your barbering skills this spring, Anna's company is here to help. The professional grooming company has teamed up with their very own Anna's company global educator Hayden Cassidy on a highly informative haircutting tutorial video series. Perfect for any hair pro who's been hoping to gain more confidence in clipper cutting knowledge and technique. This video series offers 12 step-by-step -step tutorials on some of the most popular and timeless hairstyles. Whether you need some guidance on a soft and subtle buzz cut, a long-haired textured cut, or a tapered creative mullet, Cassidy has tons of easy-to-follow guides available on both the Andis website and the official Andis YouTube page to help you through it all. The best part is absolutely free. Head to the T's to learn more and then go to those sites. Kelly, how confident are you in your clipper cutting? Oh, well, great question. You know, I'm a big fan of the Andis at-home tools, and this is very fresh on my mind because we like to keep things, as they say, low and tight at our house. And so both of my boys, I just... It's true. It's real. This is this is happening. It's happening. Kelly, you, I mean, I knew, I knew, I knew. I do at-home cuts. I do. And I use all Andis tools all day long. I check out the consumer tutorials. And so... By no means am I a licensed pro, but my 10 and 12-year-old are delighted with their fades. That may not be a fade, but it looks to be a fade to me. <laughs> and that counts for something. Uh, amazing. <laughs> I, I, I knew that you were pretty confident. But if you're not, again, check out the tutorials. We love it. Love it. <laughs> Next up, something that is relevant to us all. The article, 10 hair trends you're going to see all spring, according to celeb hairstylists. Spring is officially in the air, and as the weather begins to finally warm up, for those that are not in California, mm -hmm. it's pretty warm here, <laughs> uh, the temptation to undergo a major hair transformation is increasingly strong. For stylists, this means that all of your clients will be looking to you for guidance on what hair colors or styles to try next. If you're feeling the pressure to deliver some amazing hair ideas that are sure to impress, don't worry. As luck would have it, the T's got in touch with celebrity hairstylists and Biolage brand ambassadors, Sunny Brook and Cynthia Alvarez to find out what hair colors, cuts, and styles will dominate this spring and their advice to achieve them with your clients. From cool cub cuts, yes, mm -hmm. a new animal cut, to pastel hair, to sleek up styles, the hair looks for the spring have never been more fun or experimental. Head to thetees.com to take a look at the 10 hair trends that absolutely need to be on your radar for spring 2023. Kelly, yes. you know what I'm asking. Which one? What are you embracing? What am I embracing? Which one? You know, a gal of the 90s. Which one's plural? Which one's a? I have several on this list, but my number one is from Clayton Hawkins. Um, the beautiful 90s inspired cut, right? So mid-length hair, lots of internal layers, lots of movement, lots of body, you know, a la Cindy Crawford, if you will, back in the day. So I'm going there first. Okay. And then next up for me is for sure the cub cut. I am not Jenna Ortega. However, she looks absolutely stunning. She really does. With her cub cut. Yep. It is so beautiful and disconnected, feathery, soft. I love it. Those are my two. How about you? I feel like you could definitely pull off a cub cut, truthfully. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I'm, I don't know. It's hard. I feel like it's been a minute since I've gone light. It has. And so the pastel is calling for me. Mm -hmm. It seems like we can't escape pastels for spring. Um, and it's a trend that I'm maybe going to tap into. We'll see. Please. I keep hearing this. Naha's coming up. But I don't see it. I know. I know. Please. I know. This is, this is, it, it might be a challenge. We'll see. As always, so much going on tees.com. Thank you to our hardworking editors. We are proud to publish stories that salon pros and consumers care about. Next up, Jeff's interview with Kia Sterling, a world-renowned celebrity and editorial hair artist based in New York, Philly, and Los Angeles. Take it away, Jeff. Jeff. 
Kia Sterling is a world-renowned celebrity and editorial hair artist based in New York City, Philadelphia, and Los Angeles. With over 20 years of experience in the beauty and fashion industries, she travels the world educating on the latest trends in runway and editorial hair, creative wig making and design, and luxury extension techniques. She has quickly become one of the most sought-after hairstylists and educators worldwide and a driving force in fashion and beauty. Her trend-setting style that she describes as rock and refined has been featured in major fashion publications such as Cosmopolitan, Zinc, Allure, Vogue Italia, and countless others, as well as television and advertisements such as Maybelline, Avlon, and the Tony Awards. Season after season, Kia leads hair for major runway shows such as Mercedes-Benz Fashion Week, New York, and Philadelphia Fashion Week. Kia was handpicked by multi-Naha winner Charlie Price of Bravo's hit show Sheer Genius to join forces and to be an artist on his acclaimed artistic team, The Beauty Underground. Kia is also a platform artist and educator for Indique Hair, the top luxury extension hair brand in the industry. As a fashion and beauty expert, Kia has been invited to be a guest editor and featured artist in many publications, where her views, tips, and expertise are often quoted. Kia has extensive salon experience from boutique to high fashion. Her experience extends from precision cutting, custom coloring, flawless extension work, wig making and design, luxury hair care, couture styling, and texture specialist and enthusiast. Kia believes in healthy hair first and education is key in her growth as a stylist. Kia also believes that she's living the best of both worlds as a session and a salon hair artist. This affords her the opportunity to share her passion to the fullest in creating beauty for people of all walks of life who enjoy living the hashtag Kia Sterling Hair lifestyle. Kia believes that diversifying your artistry will help keep your career exciting and fresh. She lives for her motto, evolve, inspire, create, and share, as she is a strong believer in giving back and embraces her philanthropy work. I am so happy to be joined by the one, the only, Kia Sterling. Kia, welcome to the Volume Up podcast. We are thrilled to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Jeffrey. You know, I'm a fan. I'm so proud of everything that you're doing, and I'm honored to be here today. So thank you so much. Oh, well, you are so welcome. It is honestly a privilege. We are thrilled um, and we're going to get into it. So Kia, I know you, I know your work, but not everybody does. Um, and we want to talk about how you get started in this industry because people come to it in so many different ways. So if you wouldn't mind, break it down. How did you get to beauty? Well, let me see. To go all the way back, to be fair. Bring it back. Yep. When I started learning how to braid, I was somewhere around eight or nine years old. My neighbor, who was a few years older than me, she was like 11 or 12, and she used to braid all the kids in the neighborhood, and I was fascinated by it. And I was just like, oh my God, I want to learn how to do that. And she was like, I'll teach you. So she would teach me how to braid after school, and I would braid my Barbie dolls. Of course, I feel like this is a very um, common story amongst hairstylists, mm -hmm. because we were all into our doll babies. Once I learned how to braid them, you know, in my head, I'm like, this is fabulous. Mm -hmm. I think I want to try this on other people's hair. So as I got older, I would say now I'm around 11 or 12, I started curling, just styling my family, friends, my mom, mm -hmm. just quick stuff, nothing major, just throwing some curls in, making it look pretty for them to go to work, school, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I was really interested in it. And I found beauty in fashion and hair fascinating from a young child because my mom was real glamorous. And I used to sit on the edge of the bed and just watch her pull herself together in the morning. Mm -hmm. But the big thing was the hair aspect. I was into the makeup, the fashion, the hair was like, this is really cool. And then it added so much to the story. Mm. Hair is important. It really is. It can make or break a look. So um, fast forward to now I'm going to college because where I came from, my family rather, they were big on education, mm -hmm. college degrees. And we've heard this. Everybody had a degree. Yep. My dad was like, you're going to college. <laughs> this is going to be so great. And I felt like they were kind of speaking for me. Mm -hmm. And no one really asked me, like, really, what do you want to do? So I did go to college. But the whole time I'm in college, I'm doing hair in my dorm. <laughs> I'm like setting up a, a station. <laughs> I'm doing hair in my dorm. And back then, my hairstylist at the time, she was like, I was going to a hairstylist. I was going to the salon in Philly, where I'm from. Mm -hmm. And it was like the cool, chic salon where everybody was going. And this was back in the 80s. And I was going to a hairstylist. Now, I was, let's say I was 16 at the time. My hairstylist might have been in his early 40s, mm -hmm. which to a 16-year-old, that's old. But in real life, we know it's not old. We know it's not old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I wanted to go over to the next chair, to the stylist in the next chair, because she was young, she was hip, 
She was fun. I felt like she spoke to my aesthetic a little bit more. Sure. So he he was like, just go on over there, girl. Just go on. So I went on over to her chair and we got really close. She became like my big sister. Mm. She encouraged me to go to cosmetology school. I would say at the time I might have been like 16, 17. She might have been about 24, 25. So she was kind of my first connection to, yeah, I think you should go to hair school. I think you would be really great at it. Mm. And then once I went to college for two years, came home, I had to have that talk with my parents because I was like, I can't go back to school for another year. <laughs> I just can't. How did that go over? Did, were they receptive or what? I mean, like, break that down for us. They were very receptive. Surprisingly, mm. I had no idea that they would be as receptive as they would be. Because like I said, you know, my whole family was all about education going to college. So mm-hmm. I set my parents down. I was like, OK, so this is the deal. I got something to share with you. Race yourself. I don't want to go back to college. I don't. <laughs> So my parents both said, okay, well, what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, I want to become a hairstylist. And they both were like, okay. I'm like, okay. You mean to tell me I was sweating and having a nervous breakdown thinking I'm going to be disowned from my family because I don't want 19 degrees. (laughs) So my dad was like, well, find a cosmetology school. We'll support you. Mm. Find a school. I'll pay for it. My mom was like, well, she's always been into hair. It makes sense because from nine years old through all the way up now, I am, I think I was about 20. Mm-hmm. Everything was about hair for me. Mm. I mean, I even ruined my hair in the process thinking I was a hairdresser <laughs> when I was like 13, putting my own relaxer in. <laughs> but that's a whole nother broadcast. <laughs> yeah. A separate podcast episode. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I feel like people are going to identify with that journey. It's a little bit different. I mean, everybody comes to beauty in a different way. Yeah. And I feel like that's what's so cool about this industry is that you hear of these experiences where it's like some people knew all along. Some people never knew. Yeah. This is real talk. Uh, so cosmetology school, how did you find that experience? Because you had gone to college for some time. So you knew what that was like. Switching gears. Did you feel like? Thinking back, cosmetology school prepared you for the real world? No, I love cosmetology school because I felt like this is where I'm supposed to be. Mm. It was just natural. Everything about it was natural. But I do not feel like it prepared me for my career. Mm. It prepared me for my state board to get licensed, but it does not prepare you for your career as a hairstylist. <laughs> so <laughs> I feel like that's beautifully put. Um what do you what do you think um, in reflecting back, knowing what you know now, um, what do you wish that had been covered in cosmetology school um, that wasn't just about passing your boards? Um, I think one of the most important things, and I, I've been to a lot of schools like to give back yep. and talk to the educators at the school. And I think one of the biggest things is letting up and coming stylists that are in school know that there are so many options out here mm-hmm. to become a hairstylist. You don't necessarily have to work behind the chair, mm-hmm. but there's zillions of options out here. And a lot of stylists in school don't know those options. They don't know how to go about those options. And if they do decide to work in a salon, which is great, mm-hmm. I work in a salon as well. They don't know how to go about it. They don't know how to find a salon that fits them, Mm -hmm. where they're going to grow, where they're going to get education, which is so important, where they're going to be really developed as an assistant so they can shift into becoming a stylist behind a chair and holding a chair down with a strong clientele. Mm -hmm. They teach you none of these things in school. So that's something that I've always said, why isn't that part of the curriculum? And I understand the curriculum is based on state board, whatever state it is you live in. Of course. And that's what they prepare you for, mm-hmm. pretty much. So you're kind of on your own. You got to find a really strong, amazing mentor to help you navigate through that first five years. Mm. You know. Well, let's talk a little bit about something which is the non-traditional path. So, I mean, you mentioned this where, you know, a lot of what cosmetology school does is prepare you to be a behind-the-chair stylist. Um, you are much, much, much more than that. Um <laughs> And that's actually how we met, which is via the Texture versus Race Summit, um, where I saw the most incredible sculpture, which is the best way to put what it is that you had done <laughs> with the model. This thank you incredible ornate, like there was chain, there were all sorts of stuff that was happening. Um, <laughs> how did you uh, arrive at a place where, like, this is what you were called to do? Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so that particular part of the Texture versus Race Summit. 
I was a part of the hair art segment. Mm-hmm. And when I think hair art, I think something very creative, very out the box, something that gives you a feeling when you see it the same way you would when you look at a painting, if you're at an art gallery. Mm-hmm. So I come up with like inspiration. It's just weird. Like I can like be blank. I hate when I'm blank for a long time where I have no like my inspiration is just done. But sometimes I'm just like thinking like, hmm, what would be cool? And I was in Home Depot and I saw I was in Home Depot. Like, I think I was shopping for plants because I'm a plant mom. So I think I was, that's what I was. I'm, listen, I'm not trying to build houses here. This makes sense. So I don't go to Home Depot for shopping for stuff like that. But I think I was shopping for plants and I was kind of walking around and I saw these. I walked by these pipes. Mm-hmm. I just kind of walked by them. And when I walked by the pipe, I was like, oh, my God, I love the shape. So that's kind of where the inspiration for the look at Texture versus Race was born, just based off the pipe shape. Mm. And then, of course, being as though it's me, I had to always add extra to everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I felt like these tube-like fixtures in the hair. Yep. But I wanted them to not just be flat. I wanted them to be very elevated and kind of like, giving a lot of dimension. I wish everybody could see Akia's hands right now. And if you're watching this online, you're going to see it. Um, We're going to drop photos and video of this look because it is exactly what she's doing. Once like, <laughs> you see it, it's going to make total sense. Uh, keep going. But like, I just want to make sure like it is exactly the shape that wind up. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly what I saw. So, you know, um, I always like to look to inspiration through everything. It's not just like one thing. I look at nature. Mm-hmm. I look at interior design. I look, I, it's not always hair I'm looking at mm. because of course you can get inspired when you see different hairstyles, but sometimes I see things that people don't see. It could be in a plant. It could be in a flower. Mm-hmm. It could be a pattern in curtains. It can be anything like that. So I'm big on like looking at other things outside of hair. Although I do study hair. I look at a lot of different things to get inspired because we can be inspired by a lot. We just got to be open-minded. You got to be open-minded. I think that what is interesting about your career though, is that you really are an artist. And I think like you've embraced that part of yourself. Thank you. Whereas like, you know, some of our guests, like they don't necessarily identify with that, Mm. but I think like your portfolio certainly speaks to it. And we're going to get into that. Um, But I think it's so cool to talk about like what does and how do you get that call for inspiration, like the muses that, you know, you conjure up. Yeah. Um, Which is a good segue into like how you describe your own style, um, which is rock and refined. Like looking at you, knowing you a little bit, I get that vibe. Mm -hmm. But like, how did you arrive at that? Like, when did you know when you were talking about like your aesthetic earlier, where you were like vibing with the younger stylist in that salon? Like, What were those touch points? Like, how did you cultivate that sense? And like, how is it translated into the work that you do? Well, um, I feel like in the very beginning of my career, I didn't necessarily have a style. Mm. I just kind of did hear like most stylists that work in a salon. Okay. And I would say probably about 12 years ago, maybe 13 years ago, my client base started to change in the salon. How so? Okay. It became more diverse as far as At one time, I was servicing mainly corporate women, Mm -hmm. nine to fivers that were, you know, professional women. And they had to have hair that was more refined, Mm -hmm. nothing over the top, too edgy, too. So I had to try to keep it into perspective for what my client base's careers were. Mm -hmm. But then about 13 years ago, I started getting different types of clients. I started getting artists, musicians, entrepreneurs who were allowing me because that side of me has always been there, but I wasn't always able to express it. So now I have clients that are like, girl, do you? Sure. Or we would, you know, collaborate and come up with a new look because they're like opening a new uh, a business and they're having their, um, what do you call it? The opening weekend and they want a really fun, edgy look Mm -hmm. and i'm like oh this is exciting this is right up my alley okay so now i'm creating these looks for these clients and i started to look at my work in the salon this was before i became an editorial stylist Mm -hmm. i started looking at my work on my clients and i was like wow it's from zero to a hundred 
Like I would have a simple, clean, sleek vibe on one of my corporate clients. And then, and then I would have this super edgy, asymmetrical with three colors going on hair for one of my clients as an artist that can pull it off. Mm -hmm. So that's where I started the whole rock and be fine signature. Mm. And then it branched out into my editorial career as well. Well, talk to us about the editorial hairstyling. Cause I think that, I mean, to your point, um, initially cosmetology is not necessarily introduced to, you know, folks as, as expansive as the field actually is. Um, and people don't necessarily know, like you could be as you are backstage at New York fashion week, working with the top hair, you know, teams in the world, uh, to create the most iconic looks that then trickle down and, you know, infiltrate every aspect of like what we then consume later. How did you become an editorial hairstylist? Well, I had to go all the way back to when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. That's where, you know, I had this love for fashion, beauty and hair. Yep. And I used to take the magazines, Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, mm -hmm. all these magazines, and I would cut out the pictures that inspired me mm -hmm. and I would hang them all through my room. My walls were filled, then it moved up to the ceiling. And my parents noticed it. They were like, she is really into this fashion thing. So that's where my interest peaked mm. at 15, 10th grade. Mm -hmm. But I had no idea why I was doing it. What I just knew it was pretty. Mm -hmm. I loved it. I was very attracted to it. Yep. When I started hair school when I was 20 years old, I didn't know anybody that was doing editorial hair. Nobody, like nobody. I didn't know like the movers and shakers and the industry. There was no social media. Mm -hmm. So fast forward to about 12 years ago. Now we have social media. Mm -hmm. And I worked in a salon back in 2010 where the owner of the salon decided to do a photo shoot for me and another stylist that had just came on board. Mm. And she said, I'm going to set this shoot up because we didn't have any like work because I had never really done a real photo shoot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we didn't have any work. And I was so excited. I was like, oh my God, it's my first time doing a photo shoot. Up. Actually, I did one photo shoot prior, but I'm not even going to count that one. Sure, that sure, sure. Yeah. Don't count that one. Yep. So I was so excited. I didn't know what to do. I was like, oh my God, I'm so excited. What should I do? Um, so I had a client at the time who was a model, a professional model. Mm -hmm. And she had just moved to New York. So I knew I, I knew I needed a model. I said, I got to get a model. I, and my client, who was the model, at the time, I didn't think of her, but I did her best friend's hair as well. Mm -hmm. And she said, call Ashley. Ashley would love to do it. I'm like, oh my God, I didn't even think about that. So I called Ashley. She comes back to Philly. We do this photo shoot. I was so nervous. I'll never forget it. But it was... It was what catapulted everything. Mm. I felt alive. I felt at home. I was like, this is exactly what I need to be doing. Mm. It was everything. Now, don't get me wrong. I love working in the salons. I have the dopest clients on the planet, yeah. men and women. I just service all kinds of amazing people. But it's a whole different feeling working on set. Mm. You can't even compare the two. It's not even like, like, what do you like better? It depends on, sometimes it depends on my mood, but you can't compare the two. They're so different. Mm. And um, that's really what catapulted my career. It got me very interested. And that's when I started doing what is called testing. So it's when you build a collaborative team, photographer, of course, I'm the hairstylist, makeup artist, mm -hmm. model, and everybody is in this to create a vision mm -hmm. and everybody's basically working for free because you're trying to build your portfolio. Yep. So now you can have work to put in it basically. Um, so right after that first photo shoot, I started searching photographers in Philly. I was like, I got to get this creative stuff out of me. It's in me and I have to get it out of me. So I met with a whole, that was when model mayhem was out. Do you remember model mayhem mm -hmm. back like 10, 12 years ago? Yep. So I started searching on Model Mayhem, met all kinds of people in Philly, locally, mm -hmm. and everybody started out locally because it's just easier to maneuver and just started building from there. And that's so that's how I started the editorial side of my career, the unpaid side of it. <laughs> Which is an important distinguishing thing. I mean, like, you're right. Like, there's a certain amount of you got to do a little bit of stuff for free to build up. Exactly. But then you get to a point where it is not for free. Absolutely. Um, and you have done quite a lot of high profile things. Um, what is the most exciting thing? Like, if you're looking back, 
at your career? I mean, you were literally just at New York Fashion Week a couple of days ago. Yes. But like, what is what is the thing where you're like pinching yourself? Like, how cool was that that I got to do it? Wow. Oh my God. It's so many things. I know. Um. Oh, I remember one that I, I can remember I was so excited to do. I worked with one of the actresses from, um, oh my God, what's the name? Hamilton. Mm-hmm. The night that Hamilton won, I worked with them that night. That was so exciting because at that time, I don't remember what year that was. It was like 2014, I think. But that was so exciting to me because to be a part of that night for them and how exciting the energy was crazy. I just remember walking through the streets of New York on my way to the venue. It was amazing. I had a phenomenal time. Mm. But it's so many. I mean, I've done like ad campaigns that were amazing. Like Mm -hmm. I did an ad with Maybelline. I was like, pinch myself. I can't believe I'm actually at the Maybelline Studios. Like maybe she's born with it. It's a yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. My God. I'm like, I'm very blessed. Well, speaking to what you mentioned, which is like you got started before social media was really popping in the way that it is now. Yeah. I mean, the the access that people that are coming up in the salon professional industry have to people like yourself who are doing editorial work is so much greater than ever before. Um, so like, do you have any advice for people that are interested in breaking into doing editorial and like high fashion work? I do. Um, it's a few things that are really important. I was having this conversation with somebody in New York. I just finished doing New York Fashion Week. I just actually came back last night. Mm-hmm. And one of the things is why? Why do you want to do it? Because a lot of times I think today, I notice people see people on Instagram doing things mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, I just want to do it because it seems like I would get a lot of likes or a lot of engagement when it's no passion. Mm. You have to be very passionate and hungry. Like I said, we can go all the way back to when I was 15, hanging up magazines on my walls, not even realizing I want to do that. I want my work to be featured mm. in Vogue, in magazines, things like that. I want my work to be displayed on runway. Mm. But a lot of times I think people don't understand the why and the why is so important. Once you figure out your why, be willing to kind of like not make any money in the very beginning because you need to develop a portfolio. Mm-hmm. You can't be a shy person because you really need to network. Close mm. mouths don't get fed. So if you're trying to build your portfolio, you need to be able to reach out for t- photographers, makeup artists, models, Build that connection because that is the key. That networking and that connection is really the key to your success. Mm. Because once you connect with the creative team in the very beginning stages and you guys are doing um, what we call testing, this whole team is moving forward. So as the photographer is moving forward in his career and he's developed a really strong relationship with his team, He's going to recommend you, the hairstylist, for this job now, whereas before you weren't making any money. Now this job is paying $5,000 for the day, all because of the connection you've had with him over the last five years. Mm. He loves you. He loves your work. That is very important. So networking is a really big thing. Number two, I would say study the industry. Kind of sit back and say, if you want to assist someone, don't just DM the person and say, hey, I just want to come and shadow you. I would like to come shadow you. I know you're working and you're doing shoot because what people don't understand is when you're looking for an assistant, you're looking for someone who's going to add value Yep. and not try to come and take mm. because a lot of times that's what people do. Yeah. I don't know if it's because that's really their intention or if they just don't know what else to say because they're so excited. You want someone that com- that's coming to work and not be wowed by the whole experience of being on set. And they're not focused on studying the stylist while the stylist is working, being a great assistant, studying how she's moving, how he's moving. Oh, she rolls the hair from here. She pulls the pin from here. She uses hairspray right after that. Mm-hmm. Be ready to move the way she's moving. That's what I consider an amazing assistant. Someone who is 10 steps ahead of you because otherwise I'm fumbling. You know, it's not really a, a great experience for me. So being an assistant, I think it's a great thing, but being a good assistant with a lot of value, study the aesthetic. If you want to do runway, study designers, study fashion, study the leads that you want to work with, mm-hmm. you know, understand their story, where they come from, check out all their work, all their interviews. Because a lot of times people are like, I just want to do it or I'll, I'll drop, name drop. 
And they're like, I've never heard of that person. Well, how do you want to do runway when you don't know who the top five runway artists are in the world? You don't know the top five, not even the top one, <laughs> not even not even a mediocre one, because it's kind of like, I think that's what I want to do, but they're not really sure. Mm. So that's really important. Just study your craft, perfect your hand as far as styling, mannequins, practice, 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 jumping classes. Those are vital because the industry is constantly shaking, moving, growing, changing. Yep. And we really need to be abreast on what's what's the new thing. Mm. You know, when you're working on a set with a photographer, you're hired as the hair expert. Yep. They don't know what the hair should look like. Mm -hmm. So it's your job from studying, for instance, if you're doing period work from like the 1960s, you have to have studied that to be able to produce on set because they don't really understand what 1960s hair looked like. Yeah. So that's why they hire a professional hairstylist. Uh, love that. Um, one of the hallmarks of your work has been with editorial hairstyling, um, the ability to shift and change with pieces. Uh, so wigs and extensions. Mm -hmm. You just talked about how the industry is constantly moving. And if you're not moving along with it, like you're going to get left behind. Yeah. How did you come to a place of wanting to become an expert in this space of working with wigs? Like from your perspective, like, was it out of necessity? Was it like back to the passion point? Like, I'd love to pick that apart a little bit. Well, I personally, for myself, I've always liked wigs and extensions because I like, for myself, I like to change my hair. Mm -hmm. When I started working on set, I realized that sometimes they will book a model whose hair may not speak to the inspiration of the hair they wanted. Mm -hmm. The creative director says, this is the hair I want. The model's hair may not be quite long enough. And the funny thing is they don't really care how it gets done. Yep. They just want it. They want this. They want the product. Yep. Right. They want, I want this. She has a hair that's about this length, but I want the ponytail flowing down the back. How are you going to make this happen? So that's when I started realizing, oh, OK, I may need to build my kit for extensions and wigs. Uh -huh. And what I really like about it, and I'm sure any creative director or photographer, um, it's a time saver. That's one. Two, again, if the model's hair is not quite full enough, it's a little more on the finer side, you can add extensions. I like to work with clippings on set yep. so I can just maybe give her three or four tracks just to give her some volume um, based on the look. But I can give her a little bit of volume, a little bit of length, um, because I love using a fan on set to make the hair blow. So when the hair is blowing, you want the hair to be, you know, giving a little bit of drama. Mm -hmm. um, and also wigs, like in prepping for a shoot, mm -hmm. when you prep your wig ahead of time, when I tell you how much in love the team is with you, because you've cut out like 90 minutes of the prep time. Yep. So what I like to do is make sure that I prep my wigs, I prep my extensions, meaning if I have to cut them, if I have to color them, um, if I have to roller set any type of sets, any type of teasing work. And I do that before I go on set. Once I go on set, all I have to do is really slick the model's hair back, put a cap on, a wig cap, and then put her wig on and style it. Mm -hmm. And I've cut out so much time. I just literally did that. Uh, I did a campaign for a luggage brand mm -hmm. last year. And I did all wigs. And the creative director, she was blown away. Because she sent me images. And I happened to know this model. I had worked with her before. Mm. And I knew I'm going to need to use wigs on her. For the creative director to really Be wild. love the inspiration. And it made sense. And she was blown away. She was like, oh my God, I didn't even think about wigs. Because that's my job mm -hmm. <laughs> to think about. Well, it's great. They don't think about stuff like that because it's not their job. I mean, they have other things to think about. You know, I love that you just said it, though. Like, I didn't think about that, but like you had. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that's like why you keep booking, honestly, like truthfully. Let's be yeah. <laughs> let's be real. Uh, so what are your tips then um, for people that are out there listening that are maybe not as familiar with working with wigs to make them look natural and or fit the vibe that you're trying to create on set? Because maybe natural is not the look. Right. But how do you prep them such that, you know, it looks good? What I like to do is like, if it's a wig, make sure you pluck the hairline properly prior to. Um, if you're working with, say, 
human versus synthetic wigs. I work with both. Mm -hmm. There are benefits to both. Let's get into that, Kia. Break it down. Like, let's just, for people that are like new to this, Mm -hmm. why would you use synthetic? Why would you use human? Like pros and benefits. Like, let's see. I'd love to hear it. Pros and cons. Okay. Well, human hair, of course, is human hair. So everybody thinks human hair is the best. Mm -hmm. Um, Human hair is more work to styling because it's just like doing your natural hair because you actually have to you know, roller set it or wave it or flat iron it to get the look that you are trying to achieve. Whereas with a synthetic wig, you can purchase a synthetic wig already styled, like already curled. All you have to do is kind of create the shape to fit the model's head. The downside is that, of course, synthetic wigs don't last as long as human hair wigs. I advise people to invest in both I make wigs. So sometimes when I have time, I make wigs Mm -hmm. and I just have a lot of wigs in my collection because I know that when you go to set, we've already had a mood board sent out. The discussions on the creative side of the shoot have already been talked about. So I kind of know what I'm doing when I get there. However, that can change a lot of times. Yeah. It's a creative process. Right. Yep. They may change the entire look. Like the outfit that she was going to wear does not work with this long hair hanging down that they originally wanted. So I've been on sets where they were like, a bob will be perfect. Of course, you can't cut the model's hair, but I have a bob in my bag. (laughs) Like, oh, you want a bob? I got one. I got one. (laughs) I actually got five different variations. Oh my God. Of course. Because you come on set prepared you are more valuable to the team Mm. because they say, oh, she thinks fast on her feet. Mm. She knows what can happen. And she's thinking about every scenario because you may have three looks. Look one didn't work. So now we got to, and sometimes, you know, once they finalize look one, sometimes it's cool. I think it's cool to have all three looks with you, Mm -hmm. but you don't have to because they finalize look one. You just look better when you come prepared with look two and three, mm. you look more polished, more professional. You're thinking outside the box. You're thinking of everything that possibly can go wrong because there's always 500 things that can go wrong. You just want to be prepared when they switch, because think about it. If the model's hair was supposed to be down and the outfit, the neck was exposed, then they changed it because they got, oh my God, this outfit with the high neckline mm-hmm. looks amazing. Now her hair needs to be all the way up away from her face. So That's where you need to be able to think quickly. They may want the hair to be elongated in the ponytail. Having extensions and wigs in your creative arsenal just is a chef's kiss in my eyes. All right. Well, you did say something that I'm going to push you on, which is I got a bob in a bag. How are you storing these things? (laughs) Are we like, break it down. Like when you're showing up with your kit, like how many, how many, like I want to know everything. (laughs) I love the bob, the bob in the bag. Um, so, you know, a garment bag Mm -hmm. that you use for like your coats and things like that. They make garment bags for wigs. Mm. They're smaller. They're, you know, smaller. You can get them long. They come in different lengths and they have a hanger on them. So what I like to do is I like to, you know, let's say from short pixie cuts to bob lengths to, you know, longer, wavier, straighter. I have different types of wigs. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to label the uh, garment hanger. So it'll say um, black pixie. Mm. So I know what's in the in the bag. And then I put it on a hanger, put it in a bag, zip it up, put it in my kit. They lay really flat. Mm-hmm. So I can literally take like 30 wigs on set with me and just be the hairstylist that's prepared for whatever might happen. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I know this. Yeah. I can only imagine. Um, what do you do to keep them safe, clean, good to go between shoots? Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I mean, you even, you're making wigs too. Yeah. Um, how are we storing them? Well, a lot of times I like to keep them in, I keep them in these like um, almost looks like shoe boxes. Mm-hmm. Kind of gives you that aesthetic. Um, you can also go on Amazon and find like wig storage. It's important not to just leave them. I, I, I hear, hear I hear stylists tell me all the time, oh, I have a bunch of wigs in my trunk. I'm like, no, you no. don't want to. They, they become no. ruined. Yeah. The synthetic wigs are made from like um, acrylic and nylon. They can melt mm-hmm. all kinds of things. Um, mildew happens. I don't know. Because yeah. it's a dark, you know, you want to keep them in a cool, dry place. Mm. A trunk is not cool and dry. It's hot and musty. 
So that's the opposite of how you want to store your wig. And you want to make sure once you're finished with the wigs for the day, you want to shampoo them, condition them, mm-hmm. same way you would do your natural hair, mm-hmm. dry them, and then put them in like your storage boxes, keep them in your closet. Labeling them is very important. Labeling, it just keeps you more organized. Because mm. one thing about editorial styling, I just feel like when I'm super organized, I'm very successful. Mm. When I'm like all over the place, I'm like, oh my God, I can't think, I can't, where's this, where's that? Label everything. So that way, because you think about it, if you have a hundred wigs, 50 wigs. Yeah, how are you keeping it? You don't know what's what. So at least put, you know, like your short pixie wigs here. And then you can label it. This is a blonde. This is red. This is in the red family, in the blonde family, in the dark browns, the blacks. Mm-hmm. And it just makes it easier for you when you're about to travel. When you're packing your kit, you're not all over the place. And it saves a lot of time, mm. a lot of time. So cool, dry place is number one. And keeping them clean because nobody <laughs> wants a dirty wig on their head. <laughs> no, nobody. No. Uh, I'm the idea of the trunk thing, though. That's that's tough. That's tough to think about. People do that. It's so weird to me. Uh, oh, I know they did, and they shouldn't. You heard it here. Kia gave you the pro tips. Don't do that. Don't. Yeah, but I think a lot of that too is the Virgo in me. I'm a Virgo, and you know we're known for being like anal and perfectionist. I would never ever think to keep a wig somewhere like that. I'm so funny about my stuff. Like I'm weird. I want everything. I'm very particular. So my kit is very particular. Mm. All right. Well, Kia, speaking of particular things, um, we're going to ask you our quick takes. These are the questions we ask of all of our guests on this podcast, and we want to get your quickest hot takes. The first question that we got, okay, what is the first ever product that you owned? We're talking beauty or hair product that you were like, I got to have this. I'm going to buy it or that you made your parents buy it for you because you had to have it. Um, It was... I think I was in like middle school. My mom used to like wear her hair in these feather curls, right? Mm-hmm. And she bought this. I can't remember who it was by. It was in a purple can. I want to say it was by like Clairol. And it was in this purple can. And she she started buying this hairspray and she would put it on her hair and her hair would look perfect. Mm-hmm. After she would get it done, mm-hmm. her hair would look perfect. She would go to the salon, get her cut. And then when she would curl it, it would just always look so perfect. Even in sweltering heat. And I was like, mom, why is your hair always so pretty? Like, and she's like, oh, it's this hairspray. So I started using that same hairspray. And I was like, oh my God, this stuff is amazing. Now, this was in the 80s. I cannot remember the name of it. It was a purple can. And it was by, I think it was by Clara. But my mom would buy like 10 of them at a time. Mm. That's how much she loved it. And she kind of made me fall in love with it. It sounds like you came by this anal thing naturally, though. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like, it seems like the love of hair and the like, it's all coming together now. Yes. Amazing. <laughs> Somebody out there is going to know exactly what product you're referring to. Um, but we love that. All right. Kia, are you superstitious? And if so, about what? Mm, I'm not really superstitious. Like, okay. what is that? Um if you break the mirror, you get seven years of bad luck, stuff like that. Whatever they say. Yeah. Um, but I am big on like manifesting things and mm-hmm. not speaking negatively on people's lives or verbiage is important to me mm. because words come to fruition. Mm. So how you say things or the the framework you use and it's like you're manifesting positive. Mm-hmm. or negative. So I, I am big on that, but I'm not necessarily superstitious. Okay. No, but we'll allow it. I mean, that makes total sense. And we've had people talk about manifesting and the sort of power behind words before. So yeah, you're in good company. Um, if there were a biopic about your life, who would play you? Um, <laughs> Dreamcasting. Um, <laughs> Taraji. Taraji P. Henson. Taraji has been a popular one. I love her. She's working. She's making cash with our... I'm not going to get into who has said that they would also have her play, but I'm just saying Taraji is in... She's versatile. I love Taraji. In, yeah, she can do it all. She can do it all. We love Taraji. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you consider to be your ultimate comfort food? Oh, that's easy. Um, I'm vegan, right? Okay. So before I became vegan, mm-hmm. it was macaroni and cheese. I love mac and cheese. I now love vegan mac and cheese <laughs> just as much. Please explain. What is there a brand? Is there a specific or are you making this vegan mac and cheese? No, I make it. You're making it? Of course. Yeah, you are. homemade. All right. But I've always loved mac and cheese. 
you'll have to drop the recipe, please. Um, we want to know because I'm I'm all about a mac and cheese. I'm down for vegan. It's good, but only if it's going to be good. And I feel like you would make a good one. Yeah, so, yeah you'll have to share that. Yeah. Um, all right. Last question. Mm-hmm. Say that you're on a deserted island, and you can only bring three beauty products. What are you bringing? Just caveat. You don't have to worry about water, food. Only three? Shelter. Yeah, like all of that stuff's good, but you can bring three beauty products to keep yourself up. What are they? Moisturizer. Okay. Absolutely. That's a must. Gotta have moisturizer. I think that should be everybody's number one. Okay. Um, uh, mascara. Any specific brand that we're talking? We're, we're junkies on this podcast. Like we people. Um, I like Dior Lash. Of course you do. Um, Benefit makes a really good one. Yeah, yeah. And lip gloss. Cause my lips aren't real shiny now because I have on like a matte lip, but I love a high shine lip. Mm. Like a glossy, pretty. So yes, those three things. My lip gloss, my mascara. And the moisturizer. Yes. Yep. All right. Amazing. Kia, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Before you go, where can people find you? How can they book you? Like, I, I want you to drop everything, please. Oh, okay. Um, let me see. You can find me on Instagram at Kia Sterling Hair. That's K-I-A Sterling as in Sterling Silver Hair. Um, Twitter, all my all my my social media, my TikTok, my Twitter, everything is Kia Sterling Hair. And my website is KiaSterling.com. Boom. So hit me up, guys. Easy. I have some education that's online coming out very, very soon. So stay tuned. We got some great things cooking up and I'm really excited about it. So yeah. We are excited for you. All of that is going to be included in the show notes. So everybody that's listening can just go through and click and follow and keep up with Kia because you really should be. Kia, thank you. Thank you, Jeffrey. Um, So I love the rock and refined. I can totally get behind that. I mean... Kia is incredible. There is so much detail and uh, oomph to her work. So I think it's true in your little combo that her motto, evolve, inspire, and create, she's living her best life and she's doing it. Great interview. Thank you. I need to get out to Philly. You do. Um, And before you do, before you do, be sure to hit subscribe, rate, and review and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok at Read the Tease and send in questions to volume up at thetease.com. Volume Up is a Tease Media production. This episode was produced by Monica Hickey and Madeline Hickey. Brian Daly is our editor and audio engineer. Thank you to Josh Landowski and Nathan Folks for the custom Volume Up theme song. And thank you to our creative team for putting together the graphics for this episode.